Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. I'm fucking born ready. Born ready. Born ready. I like it. Um, so we have to start this episode uh, by addressing something here. Okay. Uh, here we go. I feel like I'm in trouble. No, I, uh, th this will be the first episode in a while that didn't have the, the jazzy coffee intro. Oh yeah, I really, totally forgot about that. We really drew that out. So we're sponsored yeah. by Coffee Co. <laughs> Go to the website, buy some coffee, enter the code PEAKSPEAK, you get 10% off. Bam. That's yep. the intro done. Yeah. Wow. Look at us. Professional. Instead of three minutes of us like talking sultry with- Waffling about coffee. Yeah. Yes. And we have to do this because we're making room for more sponsors potentially on the way. Oh, stay Damn. tuned. Big things are coming. Hope you're shitting down. Hashtag what? what? I don't know I why don't know. I said that. Shut up. Neither do I. Like I got distracted from my own hashtag thought by you talking about hoping we're sitting down. Like we quite clearly <laughs> are sitting down. Oh dear. Um, have you got many people going to the GPC National? Well, I mean, in theory, yes. Planning in, in, to go to GPC National? Yeah, so we have a uh, team of four from Burley. Uh, there's at least one other lifter from the ACT that uh, Jess Cameron, I think, is uh, qualified and in, for all intents and purposes going. Uh, at this point, this will release like the week of Nationals. So by that point, I think we'll really know for sure. Uh, yep. I've told all my guys to continue like it's happening until we know otherwise because I don't think there's much else you can really do in this sure. scenario um apart from maybe cry into your pillow at night uh but yeah so we've got a team of four and i think there's a couple other lifters going but who fucking knows what it's what's happening at this point you know i think we're in trouble if they shut the border completely to regional new south wales at least one of our lifters lives in new south wales and mm. trains in the act so yeah we'll see man we'll yeah see. yeah i mean i guess we touched on this last last week anyway but yeah, it's, it's interesting times as everyone's like just sitting on the edge of their seat, basically waiting for some dickhead from Sydney to fly to like Brisbane or Melbourne or Perth and just screw everything up for the next state. Yeah, well, we had fucking a positive case in Goulburn, which is like 70Ks out of Canberra. Like that's as close as it gets. And Canberra's gone over a year with no community transmission. Yeah. Uh, so... If this fucking construction worker from Goulburn fucks it all for us, I'm going to go <laughs> I always, I often think of like, you know, like say, say you are a positive case and everyone knows about it. Like say there was a positive case at the gym and, you know, everyone here knows about it. I wonder how it would feel to be that positive case returning to society and the stigma around having been a positive case, even though they're probably the people you want to be around the most. Yeah. You know and also I mean? like, 
it's one of those things that it's not your fault you're positive yeah, yeah, like, exactly there are some examples of people being cunts and like the guys who fucking rented a 28 meter super yacht fucking sailed it from sydney to brisbane and then attended the wallabies game and got like copped a sixteen thousand dollar fine like those dudes were paying twenty five thousand dollars a day to hire that yacht that sixteen thousand dollars doesn't mean anything to them they're just dickheads wait so they uh, did that they, to to bypass they, yeah control. They, to avoid the lockdown yeah so they rented a super yacht and sailed it from Sydney to Brisbane to attend a Wallabies game, which is like the epitome of rugby elitism at its <laughs> finest. Um, but yeah, there's people like that who are just being dickheads. But for the large majority of people, you would assume that everyone's trying their hardest not to be a dickhead about this mm. and actually just do the right thing. But uh, yeah, I think it would. the stigma would depend on whether you were a positive case just because you happened to be in contact with someone and it was bad luck or you were a positive case because you went out of your way to be a dickhead. Mm. But who knows? Well, I guess we'll find out when all these positive cases start coming <laughs> back into society in a few weeks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, enough of COVID. Sick of COVID. Oh, man, same. <laughs> Especially because uh, there's nothing we can do about it. Like, everyone just relax it's just powerlifting we'll all get back to it at some point so even though i said enough of covid it's annoying that it's like the automatic small talk now yeah it's the so worst. have you been affected by covid haven't we all fucking been affected by covid what the fuck are you talking yeah. about yeah yeah exactly must have hit business hard eh yep <sighs> thank you yeah. yeah the um i went to a child's birthday party the other day and talking to other children's parents infuriates me <laughs> like for the most part, my friendship circle, pretty solid. Like, I have a group of friends. I'm a 32-year-old man, pretty set in my fucking ways at this point. I'm not going out of my way to make <laughs> friends with people. But making polite chit-chat with public servants in Canberra is often fucking infuriating. <laughs> Example. Oh, like, these people on the weekend asking me if the gym has... They were like, oh, my God, the gym doesn't have heating or cooling? No, it's a 450-square-meter warehouse. It's... <laughs> poorly insulated and not even close to airtight of course it doesn't have heating or cooling oh that was like it's really expensive they're like oh have you thought about solar i'm like yeah i have we got a really big fucking flat roof be perfect for solar panels do you want to know how much that many fucking solar panels costs like i'm not running a high profit margin cash business that i'm just you know rolling in piles of cash around the corner but no apparently that's unreasonable to be uh, a small business person who's not rolling in piles of cash and doing everything possible for the environment. I think it just comes with like the the language of I own a gym. People just picture a well gym or a snap fitness yeah, or yeah. something like that. Corporate yeah. sort of gym. Yeah, anyway. That's, that's definitely the case. I was on Instagram earlier watching your stories and you posted a story um talking about collaborating uh with lifters or lifters collaborating with coaches uh, for a collaborative effort when it comes to a lifters progress collaboration you were just oh. you were really going for saying collaboration a lot there i reckon yeah. um let's talk about that yeah so uh i posted that because i've been working at attempting to be more proactive around creating content 
and that's an easy option to just record me shouting at my phone based on conversations I've had with people in the gym. Uh, and so this particular one was inspired by a conversation I had with someone who's not really sure about uh, what they are looking for in the training process and expressed the desire to, you know, like be in a position to have someone to just tell them if what they're doing is right or wrong. And I know we've talked about the idea of like internal versus external authority in the past. And I think it's all sort of linked into that discussion where early on in most coach athlete relationships, for the most part, it's probably reasonable to assume that the the process is somewhat dictatorial in that the coach has a prescription and the athlete does it and you know maybe doesn't necessarily question the process but just does the work and sees what happens and and you build on things from there but i think when that's the extent of the depth that the coaching relationship gets to in its evolution over a, a period of time uh both the coach and the athlete are doing themselves a disservice because i think from a an efficacy standpoint uh you're gonna the ones or the lifters athletes that i have got the most success with have been the ones that are most bought into the process themselves and allowed that relationship to develop over time mm. uh, rather than just being willing to do exactly what i say with no questions asked and to the letter mm-hmm. you know, which I, do, I don't think is reasonable mm. Yeah, so when when I was watching this, when I was watching you post, when I was watching the story you posted, uh, my initial reaction to most things posted anywhere is to automatically disagree and then to mull it over my head to the point where I agree, or to the point where I can say what my viewpoint is. So you were talking about this collaborative, and I was I was sort of thinking, um, I probably fall more to the more to the side of the spectrum of. Uh, of having a bit more control in general to the uh, of the training process and then that sort of was like well that's what he's talking about he's talking about it is a collaboration that ultimately ends with this like joint effort of of leading towards progress and it's important to understand that that exists on a spectrum that exists yeah, on exactly. a scale and it's uh, like any any of these spectrums it's can be so poisonous to swing too far to either end of it right and so like when you were initially talking, my head just went straight to the, the polar end of like, this is the athlete dictating what they want in the program, which I'm not for, but you weren't saying that at all. No. Um, and so like, I, I think that's probably the, the first big point to, to come out of this is like this idea of collaborating. Um, if you are paying for a service and if you are a coach delivering a service, uh, you are paying for expertise and as the coach, you were delivering expertise and it's, it, it, it's a role of guidance. So mm. there is input because without that input, there's the opportunity for things to just fester. Like, okay, I want you to do this comp and the lifter doesn't really want to do that comp or it doesn't time well, or they've got something else going on around that. And that because you've taken this authoritarian approach, they're too scared to argue it. So they're just like, I'm going to do it. And that'll just sit there. That'll just fester. Um, yep. I, I often get the opposite experience where, you know, the kind of person that I attracts, uh, attract has automatic trust and rapport in what I do. And a lot of the time they're willing to just throw themselves at me and say, do whatever, like, tell me what yep. to do and I'll do it. And that's not how I operate. I'm like, well, no. you tell me what you want to do and I'll guide you as to whether that's possible, what's realistic, what might be a better option, a plan B or whatever. It's actually quite hard. There's a lot of pressure on the coach when you say, 
just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Um, it's like, well, that's really irresponsible on your behalf as a lifter, because what you're saying is, I don't want any control here. Therefore, I don't want any ownership of the process. Therefore, if the process doesn't go the way that I want it to, that's your fault. It's like, no, no, no. I'm providing the guidance. You are driving the process. And yep. so it has to be collaborative to work. Yeah. And like you said, it's it's a spectrum, right? Uh, the useful analogy I like here is, uh, you know, there's, there's a, uh, is it a, there's a Bible quote about there only being one set of footprints in the sand because like I was carrying on my back. And I think that's an interesting visual, not from a religious standpoint, but from a visualizing the coaching relationship standpoint, right? Some coaches are like at the front, pulling you along. Some coaches are behind you, pushing you forward. And I think the, the middle ground of like walking next walking to you, and, you and yeah. and yeah, and helping you identify uh, potential pitfalls in the road in front of you, perhaps helping you make decisions about which uh, path to walk down. That's where the real value in coaching comes from my point of view. Hmm. As a coach of like a less experienced very new or novice lifter, you probably have to be that in front or behind person, right? You have to, be, and as a coach, you have to be dynamic enough in your application of your craft to be able to meld to the mold that that particular person needs, right? Some people need to be pulled forward. Some people need to be held back, those sort of things. And as you're, as an athlete, as you develop within yourself and the understanding of like, how training feels, how you respond to things, how external stresses play a role in your training performance, all of those aspects that are incredibly important but very hard to tangibly measure from a coaching standpoint, that's the bit that I rely on the athlete for. Mm. You know, and, and a good coach can ask the right questions. So as an example, I had a, a female lifter who had a really terrible deadlift session, couldn't break a deadlift off the floor, and then like four days later came back and hit the same weight for three reps, like in a comfortable triple. We asked some questions. There was some menstrual cycle related issues in there that without being asked these questions maybe wouldn't have come to the forefront. Mm. And I think that is, that's the definition of collaboration, right? Instead of being like, oh, well, the program's wrong from an athlete standpoint or from a coaching standpoint, well, you just fucked up because you're shit at your job and I, my program's perfect. Neither of those accomplish the actual goal, which is to move forwards. And so being able to work together allows you to actually do that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> what was I going to say? Shit, I had a really good point. Sure um, you did, mate. Sure you did. Well, I got caught up because I thought of another analogy and I'm like, I really want to say that, but there's no point in throwing out another analogy. But now that I'm stuck here, I feel like I have to say it, which is okay. like- Tell me about like, your analogy. You know, you know, rally car driving, you know, where the, like yeah, the, yeah. the guy yeah. in the seat and he's telling them all the turns Left, coming four, up. Left, yeah. yeah. yeah that's, Rise. That's crest. the coach. You still have to drive the process. Yeah, fucking oath, man. And that, like, that's the thing is in the end- <clears throat> Well, and I think the misconception about coaching is that what you're doing is paying for someone to get you results. Yeah. So that's the point I was going to make now that you raise that. I was, I was thinking that what we do as business people is quite unique in that the quality of our product relies on someone else delivering it. Like we, we provide this product, but that person has to make our product shine. Mm. And that, that's, that's kind of a scary aspect. So as a coach... 
you would be silly not to be working with your lifters to deliver the best product possible because for your product to shine through they have to be doing what you're saying and for them to be trusting you completely and doing what you're saying them having some input or, or some or you hearing what they have to say hearing what they want is going to help you deliver the kind of product that they need it's quite a weird and unique position to be in as a coach uh, because it brings in other elements that will inherently aren't part of our job as in like if our job is coaching or if our job is powerlifting or strength training programming technique like this is all the the hard skills that you just learn the soft skills that no one teaches is like how am i going to change how i interact with this people this person to extract the right information to ask the right questions that you're talking about that's all fucking sales skills oh, and dude, it's like, like sales skills applied in such a different setting because you've already sold them it's such a weird place to be man I, like i had and this is where i think the like you said the the soft skills are very hard to learn and you can only learn them for the most part, at least in my experience, by making a shitload of mistakes. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. heaps and heaps of mistakes. I had uh, someone come to me the other day and express their desire to perhaps take a break from training here for a little while and go and pursue something different. And mm. it was like, the initial idea was like pursuing a more class-based fitness approach. All right, cool. And I just uh, like I poked and prodded a little bit, not in an aggressive way or a dickheady way, but in a like, okay, but like, what is it you're trying to get out of this? Like, what do you feel like is the problem here? It comes down to I, I feel stagnant. I feel like I'm not making any progress, you know, those sort of things. Yep, cool. That's a pretty common discussion. I've had this discussion with lots and lots of people. And in some cases, this discussion ends up being right, the right thing here for you is for us to part ways and you to go and pursue something else. I'm totally okay with that. Hmm. But in this particular instance, with a few more questions, it, it was really down to feeling like they're not making progress because they didn't really know where they were going. Mm -hmm. It didn't have a defined goal. It just kind of been ticking along for a while doing the work, but never really making any actual progress because uh, you know this person isn't a power lifter or anything like that. And so without a defined goal to work towards, the measuring part of progress becomes really hard hard to mm. quantify. And therefore, you end up in this stagnant thing, which could very easily have ended in me losing a member. And like, you know, that, that sort of person who's like, I'm going to take a break for a bit and come back, never comes back. That's how this fucking thing works. For sure. Uh, but in this instance, what it ended up being was like, that person went away and thought seriously about what they want to do. And since then, we spent like nearly two hours in my office talking through plans about what they want to do, what their progress markers are, how we can get them to those. But like all of this discussion that ultimately was just mostly me sitting on my ass asking questions and like pointing out flaws in assumptions and, and those sort of things until we got to a point where I was like, okay, this is actually what I want to do and this is how I want to get there all right, cool, well, now I can do my job, which is to give you a program that's going to get you in that direction. Hmm. But in the, even then, it's not like, okay, well, we've planned out the next 30 weeks. Here's my job's done. You just got to do the work now. It's like, no, here's like this block and here's how we're going to approach it. And here's what we need to measure to manage these things through that. And all of that stuff has to be a collaborative discussion because if it was just me dictating to the athlete what they should be doing and why, well, then, like you said, they've got no buy-in in the process, right? And suddenly they get back to that point where they feel stagnant. Now they hate me mm -hmm. because I bullied them into staying when actually what they wanted was to go. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that like that skill, I look back on that conversation now and I can talk about it and I'm like, I'm really stoked with that outcome. It worked really well. And it was the culmination of fucking 10 years of coaching nearly of these discussions ending poorly mm. to get me to a point where I can turn what should have, what could have been a 15 minute cancellation conversation into like four hours of work for me that is actually going to end in this person getting better results down the track. For sure. So would you say that the onus in these situations falls on the coach? The onus to create this collaborative environment? I think so. Because it predominantly comes across in how you talk about your product. Mm -hmm. So from my perspective, one of the stories I've told for a very long time in coaching is that as a coach my ultimate goal is to make myself redundant Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's always been my goal from like I've very early on in doing one-on-one PT stuff I was all about trying to educate the person to be able to make these decisions themselves because I mean in the end for the for the average person training's pretty fucking simple like Mm -hmm. we, we can make it endlessly complex but the average person who just wants to be like fit and strong and healthy can probably learn enough about training if they wanted to to make the decisions themselves and you know maybe need a bit of input from someone occasionally uh and i think that discussion up front then helps set the expectations around the buy-in for the process mm-hmm. right uh it's part of the reason i do our membership stuff the way we do with like initial coaching and things like that because it's built around the athlete having a buy-in in in the process first because I've experienced the other end of that spectrum, which is people arrive, they're like, I want to join up, cool, here's your program, off you go. That person was bought into something, but maybe that something wasn't actually the product that my business offers. And so then when they don't get what they want out of the process, it's my fault Mm because I haven't done a good enough job of ascertaining what it is they expect from the process. Um, So, I yeah, I think certainly in the initial stages, it's entirely down to the coach themselves. And then as you develop into that relationship, it the onus falls back towards the athlete. Not entirely, but certainly there's there's an element of like I'm trying my hardest to do my job here but you're not providing me with the information I need to make these decisions yeah yeah, yeah. I, and I tend to agree I think um, uh, the initial onus is probably a little bit on the client in terms of buyer responsibility know yeah. the product that you're buying first but yeah. then absolutely on the coach to extract the right information to ask the right questions uh, and then if the lifter is not providing enough information not to shrug it off and proceed but to stop and be like no 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 i need to know this and i need to know this and i need you to give me more on this um because like it's it's uh you know one thing that i say over and over and over in the coach development stuff is uh the, the more you can sort of um get the right starting point the, the quicker you'll build that trust and rapport and the less mistakes you have to make. Yep. Like just be fucking triple sure at the start. Get all the information you need. Ask and ask and ask again. Um, and then, yes, absolutely, as you continue to go and foster, go through that relationship, uh, more and more owner shifts then to the client to provide that sort of information. Um, as the coach as well, you should be creating opportunities for people to feel comfortable enough to have a voice in this. 
you know, like I, I try and sign off every time I send something new, a new program, a new email, whatever, any questions or concerns, please tell me like open, open the door for someone to feel comfortable enough to be like, Hey, I actually don't think that you've, uh, got this right. Or, Hey, I, I'm not sure why I'm doing this. Or, Hey, I want to do this comp, not that comp. And, you know, um, there is a large responsibility on the service provider to make the client feel comfortable enough to be able to speak up and provide whatever information they need to provide. Um, you're just silly. If you like, if you're, if you're going as a coach, if you're going into this game thinking you're like the dictator, the fucking, you know, like I can't even think of a famous coach. That's just a drill sergeant, but a drill sergeant style coach, just silly. Just shooting yourself in the foot before you even start. And in that case, I think a lot of that actually often stems from insecurity. Like uh, a coach who can't see the value in what they provide beyond like do this because I said so. Mm. Uh, I like. I'm sure like you. I love being questioned on like why I'm doing things and what does this mean and why is it there and why are we doing it like that and not like this and what do you mean by this. I love those conversations because it's an opportunity for me to attempt to articulate the process that is going on in my head because it's a deep, murky web of ideas and thoughts that are combining to actually come out into this fucking sets and reps program in a spreadsheet. Uh, and being able to have those conversations with different levels of athlete as well is really useful. Like there are assumptions that I have made as a coach who's been lifting weights for over half my life that the average person off the street probably has no fucking idea about. Mm. And being reminded that sometimes I need to take a few steps back and be able to justify these things from the base principles, but also be able to have that comp complex conversation on the other end of the spectrum with someone who is more experienced about the nuances of fatigue management or, or something like that uh the more as a coach you get to have those conversations and like end conversations being like maybe i don't know or like feeling a little bit confronted by the question because you get to this point where you're like oh maybe i've run out of justifications for the decisions i'm making like fuck that's a really dangerous point to be yeah I think it's really powerful. It's just incredibly confronting from a coaching <laughs> standpoint. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and I mean, the, the more experienced you are, the more you kind of relish that and almost desire it. Yeah, it's fucking like oath, man. When those moments happen less often, you're like, fuck it. Just, I want to I learn more. I want to be challenged more. I want to... Because uh, it's growth, right? Yeah. And w- without that happening semi-frequently, you kind of feel it starts to feel a bit stagnant. Yeah, If you're sure. invested in your learning. If you're happy just being the same all the time, be my guess. Yeah. You probably shouldn't be listening to this podcast. Um, so I- interestingly, I'm I'm taught this lesson on a daily basis at the moment because my three-year-old is uh, in the why stage where he just asks, wants to know why about everything. Uh-huh. And I have to make a really concerted effort to not be frustrated by that. Why? Uh, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. Because <laughs> I went to answer as well, you cunt. Um, fuck. Got me. Uh, Hook, line, and sinker. Straight into that. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> but I, so I actually really enjoy the conversation. Like, you know, why is it raining? Well, 
clouds accumulate water. <laughs> you know, like I do my best to explain these things to the extent of my knowledge. And we've got down to the point at various points after several wires where I'm like, the fundamental laws of physics, dude. I can't explain it any deeper than this because this is all I know. Like, but as a coach, being able to then recognize the value in that thought chain of like, okay, well, what do you mean by this? What do you mean by that? Uh, and being able to define these things, like like we said, it's really confronting, but incredibly valuable as a learning tool uh, in not just solidifying your own understanding but being able to express that in various ways to various people Hmm. Uh, and I'm certainly experiencing a lot of this trying to go through and put my thoughts together in a way that will be in a position to have like a coach development program style thing right and I'm sure you've been through this and everyone who has a mentorship like this goes through a level of confronting thought about what it is they're doing and how they justify every aspect of it but I like I've spent several hours trying to define the term training. Like, why do we use training, not working out? It's like it like it comes down to being a targeted application of a stress to an organism to drive adaptation. Mm. That's the definition I got to. Cool. That it took me like fucking six hours <laughs> of like really hard thinking about that to get to a relatively simple and straightforward sentence. Yeah. Uh, I don't think a lot of people are willing to go to the depths of that thought process in a way that can actually justify it beyond like, oh, that's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's changing in the fitness industry. I think we're getting more and more deep thinking people. I think for a long time it was dominated by meatheads who were just willing to listen to other meatheads. Uh, But now we've actually got some genuinely intellectual individuals who are engaged in the fitness process and are really interested in delving into the depths of it um which is yeah great from Mm. a from a coaching standpoint but if you're scared of any of that you're in trouble like you're going to be very stagnant for a long time and not actually make any real progress Mm. yeah absolutely um i don't really have anything else to say on the collaboration stuff no i think that was short sharp and sweet i liked it yeah talk to your coach more it's probably good for you yeah Amazing. Goodbye.